so giving you this um, in Isaiah 11. So what is the fear of the Lord, right? We know fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There has to come a point in everybody's journey when all of a sudden God's God and you're not. And it should make you freak out. It should. It's the fear of the Lord. Because it's the beginning point of you having a wisdom that says, my life's not my own. I need to give it over to Jesus. So there's a fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom saying, here's the point of your reconciliation to me. Right? So when you bring that fear of the Lord in, in in Isaiah 11, he says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It's a prophecy of Jesus. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this is the fruit of Jesus, okay? And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fruit of the spirit of God being alive inside you. It's not you having to go walk a tightrope line trying to figure out how much do I shake and tremble and how much do I celebrate and high five. That's not fear of the Lord. That's external. That's works. That's, that's, your, that's your own interaction stuff. That fear of the Lord is the, the constancy of your heart that has a focus and an attention put on Jesus. Because you recognize... And even it even talks about this, I think, in Colossians 3.22. He says, fear, be perfected in the fear of God. It says, don't be proud. Romans 11.20 says, don't be proud, fear God. Right? And what he's talking about is what happens in our hearts is, and in Colossians, I think it talks about, don't be man pleasers, but grow in the fear of the Lord. Here's another way to say that. Don't be afraid of men. Walk in, walk in relationship with Jesus. He's the one. You should care about his opinion, not the opinion of men. You care about the opinion of Jesus in all circumstances, at all times, when you're responding to your wife, when you're responding to your husband, when you're responding to your family, when you're mad at the people on the road, when you're mad at the people at the grocery store, when everybody's annoying you and everybody, nobody will leave you alone. Like That's when you go, I don't care about people. I care about you, Jesus. Cause that life to live inside me. It's already there. I just need it to manifest. Come out of me. Right? I'm already full. I've already got the full divine nature of Christ within me. So the fear of the Lord is actually a fruit of the Lord living inside you. So you can live the rest of your life in freedom from anyone ever wanting you to be more full of the fear of the Lord. If you're already full of Jesus, you're full of the fear of the Lord. And if they're looking for you to actually do something like that makes them validate whether or not you fear the Lord, then you better be concerned for their soul and start praying. Because why do they need an external response from you to determine where you're at with him? People just need to fear the Lord more. What's that mean to you, brother? Like I've never seen a wife walk into her husband's bedroom and fall on the ground shaking and rattling and going, I don't know, I just, you're just here in the presence, I'm in the presence of my husband and you're amazing. Oh. The husband would be like, gross. I married you because I know who you are. 
Now I need you to know who you are. Stand up. See, when I look at Christ in the the Hebrews, it doesn't say, come before the throne of grace, shaking and trembling and falling around on the ground because you can't handle who I am. He says, you look me in the eye and you come boldly in the time you need help. Because he's talking to his bride. He's saying, be the wife that I've called you to be. Rule and reign. Co-labor with me. Right? So again, it's not the external emotional responses. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had at times when Jesus has shown up and I'm just overwhelmed by who he is. But my wife's had that same experience with me. I've had that same experience with my wife. I've had moments when I'm just with my wife and I'm overwhelmed by the love that she has for me. And that she's with me and that she would stay with me and fight through all my trash. Like, and I'm just like, oh, I don't even have words to thank you. I don't have words to say. I just cry. And I'm not some emotional basket case. Like, I just know what love feels like. So when Jesus comes like that, I'm not in the fear of the Lord. I'm just overwhelmed by who he is. Right? So that's the, that's the heart of love. So watch what happens in Matthew 25. Jesus said of his servant that he threw into the outer darkness. Number one, he's not in the kingdom. He's thrown into the outer darkness. The man says this. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered, so I was afraid. There's a fear of the Lord that's keeping people out of the kingdom. It's what the Pharisees tried to lay on all the Jewish people. They laid such a heavy burden on the people that Jesus said, you're actually preventing people from entering the kingdom. Not only are you not entering, you're preventing people from entering my kingdom because of what you're teaching. And that's why I say in this generation, in this hour, we need to have that heart of discernment. Hear what the Spirit says to the church. You have to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Just because a bunch of people start preaching the same message doesn't mean that it's originating from the heart of the Father. Because Peter himself spoke from the heart of the Father and the heart of Satan in two moments. And I'm not saying I wouldn't start down a path that can be the wrong path, okay? God's mercy is great. And if I ever do, I know him enough to say he's going to step in front of me and say, Hey, don't make me send a donkey. Turn. He'll cause me to repent. Like, And my heart toward him is, I don't want to bring a message and a word that's going to sway people into some other works-related thing. I want people free. I don't want anyone in the body of Christ to walk around today going, do I fear God enough? I don't. I want everyone to walk around today going, do you know how good Jesus is? Do you know how sufficient his sacrifice is? How much his blood means? That, do you know everything in my life is forgiven for all time? Like, I have nothing to be worried about, stressed about. I am completely at peace because of who he is and what he's done for me. Like every place in my life that needs shifting. and So the words purging and pruning and all that came up today, right? Watch what he says. You're a hard man and you reap where you don't sow. And when people read this scripture, Christians try to preach messages around the severity of God. Like, well, what he really means is, you know, he's kind of like a guy. No, it means he doesn't bend. It means he doesn't compromise. It means that what he says and who he is doesn't change. He's not like the sands that shift. He's not like one day this, one day that. 
The guy said, I was afraid of you because I knew this word, this, hard, this, this word means hard. It means like not going to bend at all. So it's not like here's the one talent. And if you screw it up, then I'm going to come and be like, oh, that's okay. No big deal on the one talent. Right? It means what I say and what happens is really what I say and, and what's going to happen. Here's what you guys have to understand. Him not reproducing the talent wasn't the issue. It's what he believed. So again, it's not about you didn't bring the talent back or you didn't double the talent or you didn't. The first statement from the master is, you wicked, slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money. Since you say you knew me, you should have operated like you knew me. But you said you knew me and you operated like you don't know me. Do you get it? So it's, here, here's, here's the point. When you're outside the kingdom, you may think you know God. You may think you know a lot about Jesus. You may think you have a lot of understanding on what kind of a person he is and what he's capable of, what he's not capable of. And you may even preach a lot of messages about who he is and what he's like and all these different things. But you're on the outside looking in and you know what you're leaning on? Your own understanding. And you're leaning on knowledge, not revelation. You're not leaning on a relationship. You're leaning on what somebody told you, what you read and what you think. And now because of what you read and what you think and you want to tell people. And then you come back to the Lord and say, well, you're this. And his response is, if I am that, which I am that, then you should have acted like me, not like you. Because everything I do multiplies. You knew that I was one who reaped where I didn't sow. I gathered where I scattered no seed. You know what that means? That means I am always about multiplication and you're not about multiplication. So you don't know me at all. So go into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, it's not you did bad with the talent. It's you don't believe and you don't know me. Right? And we get these messages where we preach about talents and what do I have and how am I doing it? And what am I, am I doing it good? Am I not doing it good? And we're praying all these weird prayers. And Jesus is saying, just believe in me. When you believe in me and you believe that you're full with me, then what you have is going to multiply because I'm alive inside you multiplying what you already have. But you have to believe that you're already full because when you're already full, I'm going to give you more. By the way, if he's reaping where he hasn't sown, do you know who's the one who sows where Jesus doesn't? It's the enemy. And do you know that the scripture, when he says reaping, that verse actually means sickle, cuts it off. And when we talked about this morning pruning and purging, you know that Jesus, who rules and reigns as a hard man, is not bent by devils and demons in hell. He doesn't shift and adjust his plan. He'll go into a field where he has not sown, where pride and arrogance and malice and backbiting and slander and wrath and zeal and, and, uh, and lust are pull, prolificating in the field. And he pulls out a sickle and he says, I didn't sow it, but I'll cut it down. And he comes in my heart and he sees that I have these things inside me that are not sown by Jesus. And they're not sown out of love. They're sown by the enemy of my soul. There's weeds and seeds that were planted in there. And Jesus doesn't stand back afar going, well, I don't really know. No, he unbending comes into my life with a sickle and says, pride, you got to go. Malice, you got to go. Bitterness, you got to go. Depression, you got to go. And he starts reaping where he did not sow. 
Then he comes in and he gathers where he scattered no seed. I really believe Jesus is teaching in this parable, a layer of this parable, as he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking about the Jews and the reaping because he's saying, listen, I am going to go and I'm going to reap in the Jewish people. And I didn't sow any of the seeds of their religion, but I'm going to cut them off. And he did. And because he did, there was a a huge revival in the Jewish people immediately following his resurrection. That he's literally prophesying, I'm going to reap where I did not sow. I didn't sow all that junk, all that hierarchy and all that phylactery and all of that religion. None of that was sown by me. What he sowed into into the Jewish nation was relationship through contract, covenant, the law. He sowed his relationship. He didn't sow rules. He said, you can be with me. That was the first statement. You can be with me. Right? So he sows relationship. They produce religion. And he says, that's not going to stop me. I'm going in to cut it down. And when the Gentiles, he didn't scatter any seed among the Gentile nations. It was the Jewish people's responsibility to go into the Gentile nations to represent who he was, what relationship was like with him, and gather the Gentile nations into the kingdom of Jerusalem, the kingdom of the Jews. And so literally what he's saying is, I'm going to go and gather in a place that I scattered no seed. And here we are, we're sitting here today. Gathered out of the Gentile nations, gathered together where he didn't scatter the seeds. So, you know who scattered the seeds in the Gentile nations? The devil. Hell. They scattered seeds. How did they scatter seeds? Well, they brought up false gods, Molech, Baal. They start sacrificing their children. They start intermarrying. They start going down this path of idolatry. Idolatry and all these things, those are seeds sown by hell itself, trying to keep the people from knowing the relationship with God. And God's not like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm kind of perplexed that uh, I got the Jewish people. They're super religious. I got the Gentile people. They're super broken. Like, what should I do? No, he's an unbending, unafraid, unashamed, steps into the Jewish nation, cuts off religion, steps into the Gentile nation, gathers people to himself and says, we're going to be a family because I'm the father. I'm your groom and you're my bride. I don't bend. I don't change. Do you know what that means? That if I'm the man with the five talents or the two talents, then I have to act like him. That I'm not bent and persuaded by a life in a a system that tells me, well, there's no seeds scattered over there. I don't see anything Jesus sown there. No, you go in with your sickle and you cut off the junk that needs to be cut off. You work in the fields of harvest the way he works in the fields of harvest. If you think you know him, then act like him. You don't go in timid and shy and I don't know and maybe and what if. You walk in and you cut it down. Your friend comes to you and starts telling you about a situation in their life that's totally rooted in demonic mindset. Don't you sympathize with them. Go in with a sickle and be truthful with them and be like, the issue is not what you're talking about. The issue is you don't believe in who he is. Because if you believed in who he is, then you wouldn't struggle with the situation at hand. And you can say that in love. A little less fired up than I am right now, maybe. It might not feel, feel the best, you know. Like, 
But, but truth, guys, is that sickle. Truth is the dividing word. It's truth is the sword of the spirit. You don't go in with your idea or your knowledge or your philosophy or your psychology. You go in with truth. And then, and then ships fall where they are going to. Right? That's how, that's how Jesus... So here in this parable, the Lord's saying, I'm going to give to everybody. I want everyone to know they're full. And I want everyone to know that if they know me, that it will multiply because they know me. And out of knowing me and out of multiplying, what's going to be the reward? You're going to enter the joy of the master. Which then all of a sudden the kingdom of heaven looks more like a wedding feast than it does a bunch of depressed, sorrowful people because they don't know what they're doing or where they're going or what they have. The kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. The kingdom of God is like multiplication of your lifestyle, of who you are, you know, in this, in this process. And it took me back. It reminded me of David again. Because we talked about the tabernacle of David. Like, we are a living tabernacle of David. We're not waiting for 24-hour worship sessions. We are the 24-hour worship session. We are. We should be. And so, David never let an obstacle stop him from pushing the envelope of knowing God. Right? He didn't let Uzzah's death... He didn't let McCall's chastisement. He didn't let anything stop him from going after the father. He had so many setbacks. Like from the, the Bathsheba situation to the kingdom situation to his son's situation. Like he had a lot of setbacks. But none of the setbacks stopped him from pursuing. Just like the hard man in the parable of the talents. Setbacks never stop Jesus. In fact, what you said earlier, David, every trial is a gift from God. Every setback is actually an opportunity for advancement. Every time you're faced with something that feels like a setback, it's an opportunity for promotion. It's an opportunity for advancement. It's an opportunity for accelerating. Like, you're never going to be stressed in heaven. So... Praising Jesus when you're stressed is something you can only do now. Praising him when you, are, when you literally physiologically don't have the money you need that week. Not because I'm, and guys, don't ever hear me. Like, I'm never one of these people that doesn't face reality. When you don't have rent money and you say, I don't have rent money, you're not living in a mindset of lack. You're stating a reality that Jesus is going to overcome. But the, pro- the part that you need is in your heart going, I don't have it in my wallet, but I have it in the kingdom. And it's about to manifest in my hand. You see? So I'm not a, like it, when your body hurts, I'm not like, don't don't say nothing about the pain. Like, you know, huh? no, like that's weird. Like, just be real and be full and be full of hope and full of faith that whatever it is, is going to change. Okay, it isn't this weird stuff that's flaky and crazy. I don't want to be like that. But I just want to walk this thing out where King David, he didn't let obstacles stop him. Jesus never let obstacles stop him. And we should never let obstacles stop us. Obstacles are really an opportunity. Right? And sometimes maybe we need each other to help us see the opportunity in the obstacle. Like one of the things I've noticed in the body of Christ is that obstacles are, are, are presented 
And then people feel condemned if they reach out and say, hey, I got this obstacle in my life and I don't know how to overcome it. I don't know what Jesus is showing me. But they don't want to reach out because they're afraid that if they reach out and you think your life, like, I don't want to call Ginger. She seems like she has it together all, every Sunday, right? Like, I don't really want to call her. Like, can I find somebody who's got more jacked up situation? You know, like, <laughs> no, like we're supposed to reach out to one another because I can be blinded through unbelief. And the other day I drove to the Cartistic Bean because I knew Dave Fahiti was going to be there. Didn't know the exterminator was going to be there, but... <laughs> Like, I knew Dave was going to be there. And literally, like, I'm, I'm in that place where I'm like, I need the body of Christ right now because I have something I need to overcome, but I don't, I don't have the capacity just to do it myself. I didn't care how many coffees you were behind. I was like, we're praying. I was just going to be like, y'all just chill out. We got work to do. Yeah, it's interesting because in Luke 19, he teaches a sim- similar parable. It's, it's worded different, so I don't know if it's exactly the same. But he teaches the parable about the talents and uh, the minus is actually what he calls them. The interesting thing in the two parables, just to point this out, in Matthew 25, he uses a different word for a hard man than he uses in Luke 19 for a hard man. And so it's, it's interesting because the, the one in Matthew 25 means like, to not bend, you know, so it's like stubborn or rigid. And the one in Luke 19 means like a force or a gale, like the kind of like severe wind. I might, I might have that backwards, but the two words are different, you know, and it's, and I thought, but both are so applicable because like, if you ever think about like a strong, forceful wind, it's like nothing stops it. You know, it may deflect it a little, but it doesn't stop it. You know, it's like, you get blown over, like you're getting blown over. And I just feel this to me is a call for us back to the fullness mindset and to realize who we are and never again wonder what have I been given versus what has somebody else been given? How am I reproducing versus how are they reproducing? But the fruit of your life, it will actually be the Lord's, you know, like he will produce that. And that illegitimate fear of the Lord, again, back to that kind of that warning is 
My prayer for the body of Christ is that they don't start ascribing and jumping on this bandwagon of works and now dividing each other once again over you don't fear him right, these people do fear him right. You know, I don't even know what that would look like, honestly. So, you know, again, just saying we're free. He came to set us free and to live free and is, is to believe that he's really alive inside me. And, and I have the full capacity and capability to do what he's done.